Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Hi, everybody. I'm Tim. I'm an alcoholic. Um, I'd like to thank Dave for, uh, for asking me to speak. Um, I think he did that based on word of mouth and had never heard me speak before, or else he probably wouldn't have. Um, a couple of things that I usually get out of the way whenever I'm asked to speak at a meeting with Alcoholics Anonymous. One of which is, um, I say my home group. It is, I actually have two at the moment. Um, one is called the Westminster Big Book Meeting. It meets on Thursday nights in Westminster, Maryland. The other is called A Message of Hope. It uh, has a format comparable to this one. It's an hour speaker uh, where we, you know, try to offer a solution to uh, to a hopeless state of mind and body. And um, I, I do my best to try and get speakers for that meeting that, you know, I know is, is uh, doing this thing on a daily basis. Um, I have a sponsor. His name is Matt. He is here with me. Um, sponsor a couple of guys in Alcoholics Anonymous. I've been through the 12 steps, and uh, I think that's it. I have a sobriety date. It's January 2nd of 2009. And, um, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous saved my life. If um, if I don't say anything, you know, good tonight, um, which is a strong possibility, um, you know, you can leave here and and believe that before I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, um, I was a complete hopeless, you know, monster that that was no good to anybody. Um, this is not my first go at Alcoholics Anonymous. I've been here for like around ten years, and um, and I get direction from. You know, we, I know we hate saying sponsorship family in AA, uh, or at least some of us do, but, you know, I'm, I'm running around with the same guys that I've been going to for guidance for the last 10 years, and they're saying the same thing. You know, they're, they're basically uh, sitting me down and sharing their experience um, with the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous so that hopefully I can get to a point where I'm fully reliant on God uh and anxious to share that with my brothers and sisters. Um, and, and, and I do feel that, you know, uh, there's no reason why if a female asks me to, to help her, you know, that I should say no, provided that um, I just want to help her, spiritually speaking. Um, a couple of females have asked me for help, and, you know, I've, I've been able to do that. Um, I've been taught since I've been here that, you know, one thing that will really benefit me and keep me happy is, is if I look at all of you as my equals, if I look at all of you as my brothers and sisters. And that's not the way it was before I got here. That is the way it is now. You know, I, I truly feel that, you know, I am no better or no worse than anybody. Um, or at least I try to feel that way. Um, once in a while I have a slip up and, you know, think that I'm better or worse than you, but uh, it's not the norm today, you know. So, 
what my job is up here, um, I think I, I heard my grand sponsor say one time that he, you know, he's not, you know, my job's not to entertain you. It's not to educate you or inform you. Um, I have no intentions of doing any of those things. Hopefully you'll, you'll, uh, you know, laugh once or twice. But my job is to, to share my experience, you know, and, uh, that's what I'm gonna do. So, I'm from, uh, I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. My, I live out in Westminster now, so, um, when I go out of town, I say I'm from Baltimore because nobody knows Westminster. Um, I'm sure if any of you go out of town and say you're from Quakertown, uh, nobody would know what you were talking about either. Um, <laughs> so, I, you know, I say I'm from Westminster, uh, or from Maryland, or Baltimore, and, uh, my life growing up was, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't like traumatic or anything. You know what I mean? Like my parents did get divorced when I was young, um, you know, in, in an unconventional, for an unconventional reason. Um, not, <laughs> not really necessary to explain it from the podium, but just understand that it was a very unconventional reason why uh, my parents got divorced. Um, and what I did was I took that uh, confusion and, and uh, you know, abandonment that I felt, and I applied it to my life. Like, you know, like, uh, it's a good reason to be an angry youth. Um, it's a good reason, you know, if you say something sideways to me to put my hands on you. And, uh, and that's what I did. And, you know... I, I have an older brother who also uh, liked to live that way, and, you know, this is his primary target growing up. Um, he's a big boy, unlike myself, and uh, and he, you know, was, was physical with me a, a good bit growing up. And, um, you know what I mean? I just grew up angry. Like, from the start, uh, before I put any drink or drug or uh, anything like that in me, I was just by default a mess you know um i went to a private school for a handful of years that didn't work out um after the third grade i went to a public school and you know really uh let me i'll put it this way you know somebody with untreated alcoholism can really have a lot of fun in public school um especially in baltimore county and uh and i did and and with all of my you know actions came some consequences either at home either with my grades uh you know getting in trouble at school getting punished not being able to do what my friends were doing like i you know i learned my my dad was a really good man he still is you know i love my dad um he tried to teach me what he was taught growing up you know Unfortunately, he was taught growing up that it's okay to hit your kid with a belt. And, uh, you know, I got the business end of the, the belt a few times. Um, you know, but, but, but what he tried to do was instill some, some morals into my life and try to teach me what right from wrong was. So, you know, I didn't grow up in foster care. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't get, uh, I didn't have a sneaky uncle or nothing like that. Uh, I I grew up with with everything that somebody needs to live a normal life. There was no there's no reason like outside circumstances didn't did not uh bring me to Alcoholics Anonymous at all. But up until I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, 
You know, like I would blame everything of this world on, you know, why I did what I did. Um, before I found the drink, you know, I would wake up in the morning and kind of overexert myself towards being a certain kind of person. And it, it wasn't one kind of person. You know what I mean? Like if I was, uh, you know, if I was with like preppy kids, I would be preppy and, you know, uh, wear docksiders and play lacrosse and, uh, you know what I mean? That kind of stuff. And then, and then when I was with the black kids, you know what I mean? I would try to be black. And, uh, why is that funny? <laughs> and, uh, you know what I mean? Got to a point like where I was constantly trying to be anybody but me, right? So much so that like I didn't even know who I was because I was constantly trying to be somebody else. Um, but it was everything I could do to just to feel okay, you know. Uh, I uh, I got into a lot of of uh, physical altercations growing up, not because I needed to defend myself, but because I knew that if I hurt you, something would happen. And, you know, I would have a spiritual experience. Uh, I would fill up on the inside for you feeling bad. Like at a really young age, that's not typical. You know what I mean? I have a I have a son today that would. You know, he will do everything in his power to avoid confrontation. But, you know, when I was his age, it, I was like the polar opposite. Um, and then, you know, I, I, uh, I, he got a little bit older, um, you know, and I, I realized that if I ran through as many girls as I could, like, I would also fill up on the inside. And, um, and I did that for, for a while. Um, It's hard work. It was hard work as a kid for me. Um, you know, I, sometimes I, you know, if, when I would talk to my son and he would do something bad, my first instinct is to like see the alcoholic in him, <laughs> and because uh, because he, he's he's just like me. You know, he is just like me. Um, I don't know if he's alcoholic or not, um, but I can tell you that he acts just like I did. Um, you know, one small thing goes wrong in, in his life, he will, his eyes will tear up. And that's how I was. Um, I would never let you see it. And I, I still don't today. I don't let you see it today. You might see it tonight, and I, I've prayed beforehand that that doesn't happen. Uh, I got a tough guy image to uphold here. Um, but like, but like, you know, I, I can see in him what I struggled with. And it's, it's an unsettling feeling, you know, I, 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 uh, I hope he doesn't have to go through what I went through. But, um, you know, so I ran through a bunch of girls and, uh, beat up some kids and, um, you know, got to high school and I moved to, uh, Southern Delaware. So Southern Delaware is a really exciting place in the winter, much like Quakertown is from what I've seen. And, uh, <laughs> You know, basically what happens is, like, Bethany Beach, Delaware, shuts down uh, after the summer. It's a ghost town. There's, like, nothing going on. If you want to buy a pair of jeans, you have to drive 45 minutes to go get a pair of jeans. I'm not exaggerating. And uh, 
there was not much for somebody like me to do except, um, you know, find the drink. And I, I'm not one of those guys that can remember, like, you know, what happened the first time I got drunk. I remember, like, you know, inhaling some dust off in the bathroom in seventh grade. Uh, that's like the earliest I can remember of, uh, you know, getting messed up or whatever. But I don't remember the first time I got drunk. Um, I don't even remember the last time I got drunk. And, uh, my memory's not the best, if you can, you know, put two and two together here. So, so I was in Southern Delaware and just like struggling, you know, um, had found the drink, had found, you know, all of his friends and, uh, and that's what I did on a daily basis as much as I could. And um, I got in so much trouble that my brother had left and he went to the Navy. You know what I mean? My mom was lived far away. It's just me and my dad. And uh, the town that we lived in, it was like all the kids on the, on the beach uh, that lived there year-round had money. You know? And then if you went inland a little bit, um, there was like... It was like little Mexico, and uh, and then you know, it, other than that, it was like black kids, and in my high school, like I was the minority. So, so since I got like a little Puerto Rican blood in me, um, I I realized that you know I could uh, I, I could I could live that role. So I really adopted, I uh, really you know held on tight to my Latin roots, and um, I would wear bandanas low on my forehead. And I would button my top button, but just my top button. And, uh, and, you know, when I would talk, I would roll my R's, uh, even when I was speaking English. And, you know, basically just tried to, uh, tried to be, you know, that guy. Um, and then, you know, when I'm around, uh, that didn't work out so well. Um, I started listening to reggae music pretty heavy and, uh, grew dreadlocks. Um, read a lot of books about Haile Selassie and, uh, played a lot of hand drums, smoked a lot of, um, ganja and, uh, and thought I was Rastafarian for like the better part of a decade. Um, I've got a huge tattoo on my arm of Bob Marley with like a red, yellow and green little thing around it. Um, that does not wash off, and it is. <laughs> I would still like to be able to get away with being Rastafarian, though. That's kind of fun. Um, so what, anyway, I got in a lot of trouble, and uh, I convinced my father, the 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 good human being that he is, that my problem was that we lived in Southern Delaware. Uh, I need to move back to Baltimore. You know. Well, my dad had planted roots. You know, my dad was working. My dad was, you know, trying to be a good provider and just trying to do right by his kid. You know, um, the reason why we were in Southern Delaware is because I couldn't get along with my stepmonster mom. And uh, so my dad said, you know what, if you can't get along with my kids, then, then this isn't going to work out. And we moved to the beach because of that. You know, that's the kind of man my father is for me. Um but I convinced him that it would be a good idea if I got emancipated from his custody so that I could move back to Baltimore. And uh, I am a, a master manipulator. Uh, 
You know, if I want something, I, I can usually get it. You ladies know what I'm talking about. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so he, he, he did that. We went to court. You know what I mean? Like, we went to court. My mom showed up in court, and, like, she's like, this is outrageous. You know what I mean? Like, this cannot happen. I was 16 years old. And uh, the next thing I know, like, I'm living in an apartment um, at 16 with the only intention of trying to graduate high school. Like, that was my big dreams in life. Just, I want to graduate high school. Uh, but I'm 16 in an apartment. I got a car. Um, you know, I had... Um, Really got involved in uh, a career in sales, and you know i i was I was supporting my alcoholism pretty good with that. you know my dad was still helping me out you know uh, when I was younger, I used to tell everybody that I was such a good entrepreneur that I was paying all my bills and like you know driving all these nice cars and no, my dad was paying my rent still, and uh you know what I mean all the money that I was making on the side was going. Um, in my bloodstream, you know, and, uh, it, it's, it was, uh, if, if we turn that game down, it wouldn't squeal, I think, maybe. Okay. Um, it, it was, uh, you know what I mean? It, it, it was a, it was a very scary place to be for a 16 year old kid. Like I had no supervision, um, because I was emancipated, like, I could essentially make my own decisions. If I was late for school, like, legally, I could write my own notes of why I was late for school. Um, and I just got in a lot of trouble. And I got real desperate and real broken, you know. And my alcoholism is, uh, my alcoholism is the kind that if I don't have it in the morning, um, I will, I will, uh, I'll be sick. You know what I mean? I can't go about my day. I can't I can't work. I can't do anything unless I have some help. Um And then I I I moved away. I moved I thought the problem was Baltimore, so I moved back to Southern Delaware. Uh and I had stopped doing everything except drinking pretty much. And then like I got a phone call from a good friend of mine and he he was up in Baltimore and he he called me up and he's like, hey man, can you, can you come here? Can you come here for the weekend and just hang out with me? You know what I mean? Like, that's all I want you to do is just hang out with me. Um, and I was like, that, this is so out of character for this guy, you know what I mean? Uh, but I did it. You know, I, I was like, alright, I'll come, I'll come visit you. And I, I came up and, uh, he kind of talked me into going in town for him. And I was like, look, I don't, you know, I mean, I don't do that anymore. Like, I'll drink. I'll, you, we can get some drinks, but I'll, I'm not going to do anything else. And, uh, you know, I, I made a conscious decision to, to do what I didn't do. Um, so we went down there and, you know, got what we got. And, uh, before I left, I, I begged him, you know, please don't do any, please don't do any more. Like, he was faded. And, uh, he was like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So when I left, I drove all the way back to the beach. Um, the next night, my cousin called me and told me that my, you know, my my friend had passed away, um, and I was like 19. He kid was like, you know, 18 or 19, and I drove back up and uh, and we buried him. And his mother asked me to come into the office of the church and explain to her, you know, why why she didn't have a son anymore.
And, uh, you know, I can't express to you how that made me feel. Um, it just ripped a piece of me out, you know. And and I thought, like, that would have been enough reason not to do that anymore. But it wasn't, you know. There's never been enough reason, you know. A- anybody, anything in this world has never been able to stop me from, you know, treating my alcoholism uh, in, a, in, a, in the wrong way. Um, so I moved back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And one of the times that I moved back, um, this girl had called up. I was, you know, sleeping on some girl's couch. And uh, this girl called up the house that I was staying at and asked for the girl that was living there. And I was like, who is this? And I kind of recognized her voice, and she told me. And it was this girl that I went to high school with. And, um, you know, one of those, like, real, like, prissy, like, you know, cheerleader girls that uh, hung out with that other crowd than what I hung out with and looked, uh, you know, looked down at everybody. Like, if she was a dude, you know what I mean, we would have scrapped. Um, couldn't stand her. She couldn't stand me. So we started dating. And, um, you know, and when, you know, within a short period of time, she just started getting pregnant. And then, uh, so, I mean, so, uh, imagine that. Imagine somebody like 20, I think I was like 21 or 22, uh, with dreadlocks and, uh, and a baby on the way. And the only thing I know how to do is, um, you know, street pharmacy. And uh, I was like, all right, here's the problem. To, you know, all right, self, here's the problem. I'm not living like my father wanted me to live. I'm not living like the rest of the world lives. That's why I keep messing up. That's why I don't feel right on the inside. What I need to do is get a real job, you know what I mean, and just be like a regular member of society. Be a normal person. That's what I need. Uh, and so that's what I did. I cut my hair. I got a job in a, in a, a mortgage firm. Um, they appreciated my sales experience. And, uh, and I did good at that job, you know. And what I did was acquired everything that I thought I needed to be okay. And guess what? I was still broken. It didn't fix me, you know. Um I had the girl, she's a beautiful girl. I had her at home. She had, you know, she was a package deal. She came with a two-year-old son. And then we had the baby on the way. And I was just trying to live right. And I hadn't done any of that other, you know, junk. I was just drinking, which was perfectly acceptable because the idea of not drinking is just, doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, you know, and I was I was dressing up nice for work, and I was driving an Acura, and I was getting a legal paycheck, and you know, what I mean, my family started to respect me a little bit, um, and I I would I would just wake up and not be right still, and I started I developed like this back problem, excuse me, and I went to the doctor, and they gave me essentially, you know, what I was getting on the street, but I was getting it legally from a pharmacist. And uh, the same problems come along with that. You know what I mean? I would run out of a month's worth of that in six days, and I would be sick, violently sick. And I would go do what I needed to do to get well, to go to work. Um, eventually, I ended up in a treatment center. I couldn't stop. I had, I'm, I'm the kind of person, you know, that I've got to be physically removed from the drink 
and anything else that goes with the drink in order for me to stop. And uh, I went to this treatment center. And this is the, what I'm about to tell you is the reason why I'm a firm, firm believer that the amount of sobriety time that you have does not make you qualified to help somebody. You know, I believe in my heart, through my own experience, that the experience that we gain is what is what's needed to help somebody. And that's it, the experience. And uh, the reason why I think that is because there is a guy that was in that treatment center who came in one day before me. So essentially he had one day more than me. Not a big deal, you know. But he had experience in AA before and good experience, you know. He had he had experience with the steps and he had experience taking other other guys through the steps. And um, I didn't understand or want to even listen to what these uh, therapists were telling me in treatment. You know, it's not that... uh it's not that they didn't have love in their heart for me or anything like that. I don't know. But it just wasn't clicking with me. Nothing was happening when they were telling me about dopamine levels and neurons misfiring and stuff. But what happened was this kid who had one day more than me, he would come out of his room after lights out, and he would bring his big book with him. And he would sit down with me in my room, and he would, he would read something out of the book, and he would relate it to his own personal experience. And for the first time, the first time, um, something happened inside of me. That same feeling that I got from like putting my hands on somebody or running through women or the drink or stealing or acting out in class, that same feeling that filled me up, I got from that one alcoholic sharing his experience with me. Like, wow, I'm not the only one that feels this way. You know, something that I've, I've been trying to treat this problem that I didn't even know about, you know, my whole entire life with, with the wrong thing. And this guy was, you know, telling me, like, it's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. This is what's going on. You know, you got a spiritual disconnection. You have a spiritual malady, and you need to treat it with a spiritual solution. Now, I had always been, like, on a search for, for God on some level. Um, at one point, I even uh, went to a, a modern Orthodox shul to convert to Judaism. Uh, like, like, you know, for, for like the better part of a year, like I was committed. Um, I was always looking for something bigger. I just didn't know how to find it. You know, the church didn't work for me. Um, Judaism didn't work. Rastafarianism didn't work. You know, the drink didn't work. Um, none of that stuff worked. But, but when this alcoholic was sharing his experience with me, I lit up. Like, I don't know if there's anybody in this room that hasn't felt that yet, but it's just one conversation away. You know what I mean? It's a little bit of open-mindedness away from, from, from getting a hold of that solution. And, uh, you know, I ended up leaving that treatment center, and he took me to this meeting, and he introduced me to a couple of guys that I still talk to today. And um, these guys demonstrated to me what this program was about. They didn't they didn't tell me just go to meetings, you know. They didn't even tell me to go to meetings. They said I'm picking you up and taking you to a meeting. Um they didn't tell me to study the big book. They said, you know what, read a couple pages a day. You know? They were real big on uh what I believe is the crux of this fellowship and that's one alcoholic sharing their experience with another and living this, you know you know, moving your feet in a direction towards God reliance. 
That's the only thing that's worked for me. And they were showing me how to do that. And um, I went through all 12 steps. You know what I mean? I, I started putting my hand out to the new guy. And uh, and that was all about AA while I was at AA. And when I wasn't at AA, I was screaming at my wife. And I was yelling at my children. You know what I mean? And I would check my brakes in traffic if you were tailgating me. Like, I was showing up, you know, late for work. I just not, you know what I mean? Like, I was not trying to be the kind of guy that I think God wants me to be today. And my experience is that I can go through all 12 steps honestly, honestly and thoroughly, and uh, and I will not be okay unless I practice these principles in all my affairs every day from the time I, I wake up to the time I go to sleep. I don't do that today, but I try to. You know what I mean? I really, really try, and I fall short and miss the mark all the time. Um, I'm not any kind of spiritual guru or nothing like that, you know. Um, uh, but I do my best. So, so what happened was, you know, because I wasn't trying to be the kind of guy that I think God wants me to be, um, I stopped relying on God. And I started, you know, doing what I thought was right. And, uh, eventually, you know, I had a drink in my hand. I thought, I told, I remember the day I told my sponsor in a parking lot, I'm going to go try to drink like a gentleman. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he went like this. <laughs> All right, I'll be here when you get back. Yeah, and I'm like, what? Whatever. Go to hell. I went and I tried to drink like a gentleman. I tried to drink a six-pack. Me and me and her, you know, uh, got like 12 beers. I drank my six-pack and four of hers. And uh, and within a couple of weeks, I was back in the city. Just like that. You know? And, and that kind of sets the stage for my experience in AA. Um, I would go and rip and run, you know, and kill myself for however long now, come back in AA, you know, begging, like, can somebody help me? And I'll follow some directions to a point, you know, and then end up going back out. And eventually, um, I got in a lot of trouble with, with the law, you know. I had uh, I'd taken an automobile that wasn't mine. Um, I had not gone to court when I was supposed to. I violated a couple of different probations in, in the city and in the county. Uh, and it was just a mess. And I went down, you know, I called my, you know, you know who you call when you really need help. You call your mom. And uh, you know you do. And uh, and she helped me out, you know. She stepped up to the plate. And my mom is still paying financially for the treatment center that she took a loan out to send me to. Um, you know, if, if, it, if it was up to me, I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't allow that. But I can't do it right now, you know. Um, and I went down to South Florida to one of those treatment centers that you see after A&E intervention, you know, the commercial. That's the one I went to. And, uh, and I called two guys. Actually, I made three phone calls. I called the guys up in Baltimore that I knew. And I said, hey, um, do you know, 
by any chance, do you know anybody 1,100 miles away that can help me? And they were like, yeah, sure. And I was like, what? Uh, and he gave me a couple phone numbers. I called this one guy, and he was like, whoa, uh, I don't know. I'm kind of busy. Whoa, 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 I'm in school. And so I was like, all right, never mind. I called the next number, and this guy this guy was like, oh, yeah, I could throw a rock and hit you. You know, I'm that close. So, I'll, you know, um, you know, can you help me? And he's like, yeah, I'll come over. And he sat down, and uh, he shared his experience with me. You know, that's it. Um, he just shared his experience. And he expedited me through the steps. Uh, I want to emphasize that, you know, he expedited me through the steps um, as quickly as I was willing to go through them. And there's a good reason why he did that. And it's because, you know, my solution is, is the drink. And when you take the drink away from me, I'm left without any solution, right? So if uh, if I don't substitute that hole with a, a spiritual solution, I'm going to revert back to my old solution every single time. And that's my track record. That's what I do. And uh, so he, he, you know, he expedited me through the steps, and um, he he showed me, you know, how to how to live this way. Um, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, um, I was still prepared to do uh, live a little bit dirty on the side, you know. And what happened was I ended up checking out in North Miami, um, you know, clinically dead. Uh, and, uh, you know, they they brought me back, um, and then I'm sitting in this place in my life where I'm like, it's the scariest place I've ever been. You know, and I've been walking in the alleys in West Baltimore at 2 o'clock in the morning, and that's not as scary as having experience with AA and firmly believing in your heart that it's not it's not going to work for you, and also knowing that the drink's not going to work for you. Like, that is a scary, scary place to be. Um, and I ended up leaving South Florida, and I, I went back up to Baltimore, and I ran wild for, like, six months, like, on a death mission. You know, like, I know I can't live sober happy, and I can't live, you know, drunk happy. So, like, there's only one place for me to be, and it's not here. Now, mind you, I have a, I have a child, too. You know, at this time, I had, I had a young boy, and uh, he would cry for me, you know. He would cry for me. And my job is to provide for him, and I couldn't even do that, you know, because I needed to get what I needed to get. And that was what was important, most important. You know, now, I'm, it's not that I don't have a heart. I do have a heart. I, you know, that hurt. But it just wasn't as important as that next drink, you know. And I'm ashamed, you know, I'm ashamed to say that, I guess. You know, it's not the kind of person that I want to be. Um, I can also tell you it's not the man that I am today. You know what I mean? And uh so I got in some more trouble in Baltimore and, and uh this time I went to a state run facility and uh and I called that guy in Florida and I was like, Hey man, you know, what should I do? And I called my grand sponsor and I was like, Hey man, what should I do? And they know me, you know, they know me, they know who I am. My grand sponsor's known me for like eight years and uh he was like, Well, you know what? If if you don't do something you're gonna die. You will die. And uh and, you know, I suggest that you go back down there and, you know, really surrender this time. You know, really move your feet like like we're showing you how to do. And that's what I did. And and for the first time, like, you know, my sponsor gave me a 100 suggestions. I took a 100 of them. He's here. You can ask him after the meeting. You know, I, I didn't do it. Did, I did everything that I was supposed to do. Um, and I got the results of that, you know. 
again, expedited me through the steps. I started putting my hand out. I started sponsoring a guy when I was like a month and a half sober. He didn't know I was a month and a half sober. He never asked. You know why? <laughs> you know why? Because because I had found and I had found a reliance on God. And when that happens to somebody, something happens in their eyes. And you can look at them and you can see if they're full of it or not. You know what I mean? And I was all about it. Like, I'm going to save my life this time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my entire life to God. And whatever God wants me to do, that's what I'm going to do. And, um, and this fool asked me for help. <laughs> and, um, and I, you know what I did? I shared my experience with him, just like it was done with me. And it worked. You know, and he lit up. And that right there, that... Not me getting better, but watching somebody else get a hold of this thing is, like, the biggest motivator for me to stay here. Like, it was amazing to see that transformation in somebody. And um, and if, if you've ever experienced that, you know how motivating it is to continue to do that, you know? It's like, I've said it before, it's... It's not my obligation anymore to, like, try to share my experience. It is a desire to do so. It is a joy, and I love it. And I love watching guys that I've taken through the steps take other guys through the steps and seeing what happens there. Seeing the guy that I took through the steps be like, whoa, where was this my entire life? You know? That is awesome. And and that's the one thing that I take seriously today, you know? Or I try to take seriously. I took something else seriously on the way up here. I almost threw up in the bathroom before I got here. But uh, but I take I take God reliance and the, and this program very seriously. And in doing that, I really don't have to take too much else seriously, you know. So I got I got some experience down there in South Florida with helping guys. And what happened was I kind of leveled off. Yes, I was comfortable. Yes, I was praying every day. I was meditating. I was taking guys through steps, whatever. But I wasn't like growing any closer to God. It was just like kind of level. And that's because, like, I had a bunch of wreckage to clean up in Maryland. And um, I prayed for four and a half months, the same prayer every day. Like, please make it clear to me where I should be. Please show me what I need to do because I, I mean, erase all doubt. And after, like, four and a half months and multiple, like, examples of where I should be, I hopped the plane back to Maryland. And I knew that in doing so, I was going back to jail. It was a given. You know, I hadn't seen my son in, like, a year and a half, maybe, something like that. Um, I had I had a bunch of... uh Failure to appears, bunch of violations. You know what I mean? So I'm going to go up here and uh, basically stand in front of a judge and, and uh, do that little script we do at the ninth step of how I'm a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then I was going to go to jail for however long the judge thought was necessary. So that's what I did. And uh, I went up there, I said that, and the judge like looked at me and just says, you know what, Mr. Zoukas, um, why don't you just keep doing what you're doing, you know? And when you take a car that's not yours and you violate probation every single way that you possibly can and you leave the state and you piss dirty and all that other stuff, you're going to jail. <laughs> Unless God thinks you shouldn't, you know? So what I did was I did what the judge told me. He said, do 100 hours of community service, show up to your probation officer. He said, get these slips signed. I said, you know what? You know what? That's fine. I'll do that. You know, that is a small price to pay. I went to my probation officer and I said, you know what, if I get these slips signed, the new guy in the meeting is going to think that I'm at the meeting because I need to, you know, because I have to be, not because I want to be. You think I'll have to get these slips signed? And she's like, yeah, that's fine. And I was like, what? <laughs> All right. Um, and so I, I showed up to AA. That's the first thing I did when I moved back. I showed up to AA. And I got a job. I showed up to AA in my job. 
And then my son wasn't even living with his mother anymore because we both had this same same illness, you know. And, and, and her actions, um, you know, landed her in a place where she couldn't take care of our son either. Um, and he was living with her sister. Uh, and, you know, and I, I kept consistently showing up like every other weekend. I'm like, you know, can I come, can I pick my son up? And like the first time that I saw him, after that long stretch of time of not seeing him, and he hugged me. <laughs> and it, it was like I had never left, you know? It's like we were best friends. And I just showed up, you know? That's all I did. I did what I thought God wanted me to do. And eventually, you know, his mother, uh, his mother ended up in the clink, like, you know, and so those other weekends that she was seeing him were open. So I was like, hey, can, you know, can I pick Canaan up every weekend? And that was okay too. So now I'm showing up to work. I'm seeing my son every weekend. I'm showing up to AA and trying to help as many people as I can. And I'm all of a sudden, like, feeling better than I ever have in my entire life. And uh, I did that for four months. And through very, very, very little effort on my part, God saw fit that my son move in with me full time. You know? And then I was able to see and go to sleep every night. And we were able to say thank you every night together for everything that we could think of. And my son was saying thank you at night for the roof over his head. Like, that's the kind of stuff that, that my little boy was saying. And, uh, you know, when, when you have, like, the background that I have, you really can't, you can't pick and choose your jobs. You know, you can't really just go do whatever you want. Um, but I was working in a restaurant, and, it, you know, my son moved in with me, and, like, it was the summer, it wasn't a big deal. You know what I mean? But then school came around, and I'm working in a restaurant at night, you know, and, and he's at school during the day, and I'm not doing anything. And I just prayed again. You know, it's okay. It says it in our literature. It's okay to pray for something for yourself as long as it's to benefit others. And that's what I did. And I said, God, get, just please give me an opportunity so I can be more available to my son and AA. You know, that's all I want. Just give me that opportunity. And I, I said that prayer for like two and a half weeks and bang, I got a job 8.30 to 5.30, Monday through Friday, you know, in sales with, this, you know, not commission based, you know, I get a salary. Now I'm able to, now I'm able to like put my son to bed again every night. I'm able to feed him, you know. And we got a little apartment. It wasn't much. It was a basement apartment, you know, and it leaked. And there's a guy uh, that lived upstairs that had a bird like as big as my left leg, and uh, it and it, you know, what I mean that sucker like screeched every night, every morning, woke me up, Saturday and Sunday too, you know, <laughs> and it just was, it became like an ugly scene, you know what I mean, like, and I started looking for apartments, and I'm trying to manage that part of my life, and I'm like really putting all of it in, you know, all my energy into that, and I was, and it wasn't working, and I was getting so crazy, and all of a sudden, like, I want to hurt the guy upstairs, you know, and, uh, and I'm like, whoa, like, I'm trying to manage my life again. Like, duh, that doesn't work. You know? And so I prayed and I said, God, like, you know what I mean? If you think I should have something better than this, put it in front of me. You know? And I'll give it my all. And, uh, 
you know, all of a sudden, like, my grandparents couldn't take care of themselves anymore, and they had to go to assisted living. And uh, I had reunited with my son's mother, you know, during this time. Um, and she was coming over every weekend to see, you know, see Kane. And, and um, you know what happens when you get together with your ex, you know what I mean, on the weekends, and you're sleeping in the same bed. So now, you know, she was pregnant again. And... Uh, <laughs> But but now she was you know she was in AA too and you know she was getting direction and I mean she was she was trying to do this thing as well and then you know in the process you know like my mom and my uncle called me and they're like hey we got this house empty you know you want you want to take care of it I'm like yeah I'd love to it's a four bedroom split four year house with like a fenced in yard you know, now I got this little baby that doesn't live with me, lives with his mother down in the neighboring town. I only see him on the weekends. And, uh, and now all of a sudden I have a place big enough to put us all in. Through no management or effort of my own. And, um, and I'm continually showing up to AA. I want to emphasize, you know what I mean? Like, I'm really trying to, trying to do this thing in all aspects of my life. And in the process of doing all this, like, I get two promotions in my first year at work, and now I'm, like, able to afford to provide for my family. I used to sleep in a house without water or heat or electric, you know, a couple years ago. Like, all I did was put God first, and these are the things that happened, you know. But I can promise you that, you know, th these things isn't, you know, what really makes me happy. It's not what fills me up. These are all byproducts of the way I'm living my life. These are all gifts that I've given, you know, that I've getting, gotten. Um, I am the most grateful alcoholic in the world, I think. <laughs> you know, and uh, I got, you know, I got a couple people that asked me for direction, and you know, I mean, I've really put my life on hold for a couple of these guys. You know, I've been inconvenienced by AA. Not tonight, because it was a joy driving three and a half hours up here. But, uh, <laughs> but, but I mean. You know what I mean? Like, I've got to do this. i got to do this. Like, this is important to me. Somebody did this for me. Like, what kind of fool would be given the life that I've had, that I live today, and not try to, to, to share that with as many people as they can? Like, you know what I mean? So, you know, so what I do every day is I wake up in the morning and uh and I ask God to direct my thinking. And I ask him to show me what to do. And I beg him to put somebody in front of me that I can help. Anybody, not just you guys, you know? Anybody in this world. Put somebody in front of me that I can be of service to. And when that opportunity comes, I don't turn my back on it. You know, I take it. God, I think, lives inside of me. When I'm about to do something wrong, you know, since I asked him for direction in the morning, since I asked him to, you know, show me what to do, if I'm about to do something that he doesn't want me to do, my gut will tell me, 
I uh, they stupid. You're about to make the wrong moves, you know? And, uh, and I won't do that, or I'll try not to do that. If I do it, I got, you know, I got consequences, you know? Luckily, I don't know if it's luckily, but, you know, thankfully, um, I've got a little bit of a, uh, insurance policy, you know? And me, me trying to live this way, that when I do something wrong, um, I don't immediately just revert to the drink. You know what I mean? What happens is, you know, I just don't feel right right now. You know, I'm, and I might snap at my kid. And I, I'll have to make that right. And then I'll have to, you know, I'll have to, to ask God, you know, to remove whatever it is that's bothering me. And if that, you know, that doesn't work, then I'll call somebody. Not just my sponsor. If you know him, you probably won't call him either. But, uh, that's a joke. That's a joke. That's a joke. But, you know, I'll call, I'll call some guys that I look up to and, you know, that I know are doing this. And I'll be like, hey, where's my part in this? So that I can find out my part so I can make that right. And then, you know, I'll immediately just turn my attention to where I can be of service. And if I'm at home, you know, and, and that means like just sitting on the edge of the bed and like asking my son about some computer game he's playing, then, then that's what I do. Or if it, you know, if I have an opportunity to go to a meeting and, you know, spend an extra 10 minutes talking to somebody after the meeting, that's what I'll do. You know, or just call my mom and ask her how her day's been. Like, something that gets me outside of myself. You know what I mean? Works every time. Every time. Um, you know, the town that I'm in doesn't, doesn't have speaker meetings. Um, you know, a lot of the guys in that area haven't even been exposed to this kind of AA. So, you know, I got a couple of people involved, uh, you know, asking if they wanted to, to help me start one like this. And, uh, and we did, you know. It's Friday nights at 8.30 if you're ever in Westminster. Um, and we're, you know, we're starting to see a fellowship grow up around us, you know. We're starting to see people in that town, like, come to this meeting and be like, wow, <laughs> that was awesome. And we didn't even get to hear ourselves talk, you know. Because that's all there is, is like, open discussion meetings. And um, I love AA, you know. My sponsor said to try to try to take, to try to talk about his life without AA is like impossible. I'm the same way, you know. I wouldn't want to. Like this has given me everything, everything that I need and like so much more than I ever thought was possible. You know, I'm a brother to my brother today, and a, a son to my parents. And I, and I, you know, I'm a good employee, and um, <laughs> and I can provide for my family. And if you ask me for help, I will, I will say yes. You know, I will say yes. Now, I'd like to, uh, you know, thank, thank you, Dave, for for having me come up. You know, thanks for the the crew of hooligans that that came up with me, and um, it's really all I got. So thanks for letting me share. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.